Let's talk about Simcha. Let's talk about the Yom Tov that is dedicated to Simcha. And we'll ask the question, is the Yom Tov a celebration of Simcha's Beis HaShoeva? Or is the Beis HaShoeva a celebration of the Simcha of the Yom Tov? And what about Simcha generally when we do mitzvahs? What is the nature of that Simcha? All of this based on the teachings of the Rambam. When the Torah tells us the Pasuk about Sukkot that you're supposed to celebrate Lifnei Hashem in front of Hashem, the Rambam, the Rambam derives from this, that Sukkot was a festival where there was additional extra Simcha, more than any other Yantav, let's see it in the Rambam's own words. He says, Despite the fact that in every Yom Tov there's a mitzvah to rejoice, to celebrate, in Sukkot, in the Beis HaMikdash, was a time of additional joy, and then he quotes this passage, that you should celebrate in front of Hashem or before Hashem for seven days. And then he describes, and what did they do? You've got to pay attention to every word over here, because the Rambam is highly specific. Erev Yom Tov Prior to the beginning of Yom Tov, they made stands for the women to stand above and for the men to stand below, that they shouldn't mix and it should be immodest. And the actual celebrations began after Yom Tov ended on the first day of Sukkot, and then and they continued the celebrations through Cholam now, the fact that the Rambam quotes that pasuk that you should celebrate in front of Hashem for seven days, as the source for the fact that Sukkot was a time of additional joy, and what's conspicuously absent in what the Rambam says is he doesn't tell us that the Simcha of Sukkot was specifically attached to the drawing of water, Nisach HaMayim. So that tells us that Simcha's Beis HaShoeva costs from Mepharshim. So the, the Mepharshim explained that the fact that he doesn't link it specifically to Simcha's Beis HaShoeva is L'Hoichiach Shledasa Rambam HaSimcha Yeseira Eino Shayeches LeNisuch HaMayim Bumshel. It appears that the Rambam's perspective is that the additional Simcha on Sukkot is not specifically linked to the Beis HaShoeva, to drawing the water for the Nisuch HaMayim. But the Mephoroshim want to argue that the Rambam's view is that the Simcha, the additional Simcha of Sukkot, is mandated by the Torah, and it's mandated to occur inside the Beis HaMikdash, as the Pasuk says, it has to be before Hashem, which is in the Beis HaMikdash, and it has to be Simcha associated with Sukkot as a Yom Tov, in addition to the regular Simcha, which you experience on a regular Yom Tov, or the regular Simcha of Sukkot, outside of the Beis HaMikdash. Okay, so that's how the Mephorshim understand it. The Rambam identifies an unusual degree of Simcha on Sukkot because it is Sukkot if you're in the Beis HaMikdash. But you'll say, but we all know, we know, because the Mishnah tells us this is called the Simcha associated with drawing the water for Nisach HaMayim. That's what it's called, Simcha's Beis HaShoeva. The Gemara even associates it with a Pasuk that says, you will draw water with great rejoicing. 
היינו שמצד כוסף זה שאין אלא סמכתו, ציפרא שמחה יסריה של חג הסוכס וניסח המים. So the Gemara seems to very clearly link the additional simcha of סוכס with the drawing of the water. Why doesn't the Rambam do it? ומטעם זה אין נקרס שמחס השואבה, היינו שהשאיבה היא סיבוסו של השמחה. Well, the Rambam will tell you, that's why we don't call it the שמחס השואבה, that the joy is about drawing the water, and a שמחס בייס השואבה. Rather, that is the joy of the place where we drew the water. היינו השמחה מצד חג הסוכה שאויסם בבייס השואבה, שהוא שם המוקים שאויים מתקנין לשמחה. Sounds like what the Rambam is telling us is that the simcha is associated with the place where the Nisach HaMayim occurred, which is the Beis HaMikdash. So the Rambam is telling us something we've never learned before, that the additional simcha of Sukkot is unique to Sukkot in the Beis HaMikdash and not specifically because of Simcha's Beis HaShoeva. Now if it's the Rambam's perspective, it's going to raise a question because it looks like the Rambam self-contradicts. We need to understand. Read what the Rambam says, and it appears to be self-contradictory. Because, What was the pasuk that the Rambam used to prove that there should be extra simcha on Sukkos? To rejoice in front of Hashem for seven days. That implies the simcha is for all seven days of Sukkos. Which would have to include the first day of Sukkot as well. Because the first day is one of the seven days of Sukkot. So the moment you quote that Pasuk, the implication is that the joy of Sukkot starts on day one. And straight after saying that, the Rambam continues, In the same halacha, in the same conversation, He says, And when does the Simcha begin? On the first eve of Cholamoyed. So that's six, not seven days. Sounds like it's self-contradictory. Another Rambam will explain why. He'll give an explanation why it's not viable to have the Simcha on Yom Tov. But that's not going to change the fact. In fact, when you consider that the Rambam, as the Mephoshim was suggesting, says this Simcha is Dorai, so the following argument is actually going to fall down. What does he say? The rejoicing that's supposed to occur in the base Hamikdash on Sukkot does not override either Shabbos or Yom Tov. That's the Rambam's proof, or that's the Rambam's argument. The argument seems illogical. Because Let's assume that the requirement to have additional joy on Sukkot was something introduced by the Rabbonon. It wasn't mandated by the Torah. Okay, then we would understand why you cannot express that simcha. Which, how do you express it? With all various kinds of musical instruments. And everybody brought their own home instruments. We understand why you can't do that, but Yom Tov Arishon, on Yom Tov, you can't play musical instruments on Yom Tov. Why? Because we would say, Because effectively what you'd now have is a prohibition by the Rabbonon against using musical instruments on Shabbos or on Yom Tov, which incidentally is usually overridden by the fact that it's inside the Beis HaMikdash. But anyhow, so... It doesn't seem to make sense. Why would the Rambam say that you can't celebrate on Yom Tov if the celebration is only rabbinic, if it's only Simcha's base Hashoi Eva?
אבל כיוון שפירשנו שהשמחה ישראלו הרחיב מן התורה. But because we're going with the, the interpretation that the Rambam believes that the additional simcha on Sukkot is mandated by the Torah, kosher, then you have a question. Why then does the Rambam restrict us that we can't practice this joy on Shabbos or on Yom Tov, where it's only a rabbinic prohibition against playing instruments, and it seems like the Rambam is saying that the Chiyuv to have the Simcha is the Oraisa. Especially when you consider that the entire concept of rabbinic law and the restrictions of on Shabbos doesn't apply inside the Beis HaMikdash. And where did Simchas Beis HaShoeva happen? In the Beis HaMikdash. So it is not so clear to just simply say, oh, the Rambam says this is mandated by the Torah that you have to have additional Simcha on Sukkot. Not so clear about that. In addition to which, we have a few other questions. Aleph, simple question. Where does the Rambam find an original source in Gemorrah, etc.? Where does he have a compelling proof from an original source to say that this Pasuk that you should celebrate in front of Hashem for seven days is telling us that the Torah mandates additional Simcha, especially when you consider that there are many opinions who say any drasha, any interpretation of a Pasuk that is not recorded in the Gemorrah cannot be considered valid. The Rambam is, of course, much later than the Gemara. So where's his source? Beis Yisrael came beyond that. Practically, how could the Rambam allocate this Pasuk as the source that you're supposed to have extra Simcha and Sukkahs? The Rambam's already used this Pasuk and explained He's already told us that we learned something else out of that same Pasuk, which is Mitzvah's Lulav Chulei. The mitzvah of how the lulav operates. That only inside the Beis Hamikdash did you shake the lulav all seven days, Shabbos included. Why? Because it says you have to rejoice when, when you're in front of Hashem. So the Rambam already used that pasuk to say when you're in the Beis Hamikdash, which is in front of Hashem, then you shake lulav for all seven days. Outside of the Beis Hamikdash, you don't. How could the Rambam now pull out the same pasuk? And tell us, actually, it means something else. It's telling us that there is an additional simcha that is required from the Torah on Sukkot. Okay, let's continue with the next piece of what the Rambam tells us, because it will also raise some interesting questions. What does he say? This special joy that's supposed to happen in the base of Mikdash and Sukkot is something that a person, that, that we as a community should be marbe. We should make it as joyous as possible. And then he says, The rejoicing was not open to the public and certainly not to Amei Ha'aretz, people who are more ignorant. It was the great sages of Israel. The people who headed up yeshivas. Members of the highest courts. And pious individuals. And people who had the experience and maturity of Torah knowledge. And people of unique deeds. They're the ones who sang and clapped and, uh, and danced. And they were the ones who generated the joy in the base during Sukkot. And the rest of the Jewish community was the audience. The 
it would seem that the Rambam bases this opinion on what the Mishnah tells us, which is Chasidim The Mishnah says who were the performers, who were the people who danced at Simchas Beis Hashoeva, Chasidim, and people of unique good deeds. So, and we need to understand this too. Aleph Lefiana. If we go with the way that we have explained the Rambam until now, which is that it is a chiyuv min hatayra to have the extra simcha on sukkahs, well, now the question should be quite obvious. Should a das Rambam simcha zoyi chiyuv min hatayra b'tayra simchas yomtiv? The Rambam argues, as the Mefarshim have explained, that this is a requirement from the Torah, part of how you celebrate Yom Tov in the Beis Amikdash with this extra Simcha. And it's not just a, a, a something that was introduced by the Rabbanon as part of the celebration of drawing Nisachamayim. Why would we then restrict that certain people can't participate in the Simcha? The majority of the population, the Rambam says, stood as an audience and spectated. So now, What basis would the Rambam have to take a mitzvah sase, which is presented in the Torah without conditions, and now apply these restrictive clauses? Why? Why would you exclude people when the Torah did not? And if the Rambam does in fact exclude people, on what basis would he do so? Where is the source? There has to be some original source in Mishnah, in Gemara, somewhere that lends itself to this explanation. And on that note, when we're talking about sources, we did say that the Rambam is based on the Mishnah. So let's look at the Mishnah. The Mishnah only described two groups of people who sang and danced at Simchas Beis HaShaiva, Chassidim, and people of unique deeds. The Rambam has a whole list. He says, this Simcha was celebrated and then he says, as the Mishnah does, and he also says, like the Mishnah does. Where did he get this whole list from? By the way, if we're adding to the list, there is a brisa that comments on this Mishnah in Sukkah, and the Rambam doesn't include a certain key element of that brisa. Because the brisa describes the various announcements or the, the, the speeches that were made or the, the, the expressions that were used by various people who participated in the Simchas Beis HaShaiva. And it says, There were certain expressions that were made by the great people who said, at least we haven't embarrassed our heritage and we've clung to the things that our parents taught us. And there were Bali Tshuva who also made comments and statements about how they had escaped the, the shame of their past. In other words, according to the Mishnah and the Brisa together, there were three groups at Simchas Beis HaShaiva. Chassidim, the Rambam, the Rambam doesn't seem to fit either the Mishnah or the Brisa. Because on the one hand, the Rambam added more people to the list of who sang and danced at Simchas Beis Hashem beyond what's mentioned in either the Mishnah or the Brisa. And yet, on the other hand, it does not include Balei Tshuva, which were expressly mentioned by the Brisa. That's also strange. And perhaps the strangest part of it all is how the Rambam now meanders from the topic of the Simcha of Sukkot into a topic that seems not only unrelated, but something that should have been discussed much earlier in context. The Rambam also says, 
the joy that a person should experience when doing a mitzvah, and when expressing love towards Hashem, who obviously instructed these mitzvahs, that's a very significant part of how we serve Hashem. And any person who is willing to humble themselves and make light of their own bodies in the service and the simcha of serving Hashem, that is somebody who is great, that is somebody who deserves honor, that is somebody who serves Hashem out of love, and then he proves it. Where David Amelech says about himself, he completely degraded himself and he completely humbled himself in order to express his dedication to Hashem. So now, but it's a simple question. This idea about the importance of Simcha Shal Mitzvah, why discuss it only now when you're just talking about the Lulav? After having discussed the tremendous Simcha that is supposed to occur in the base Hamikdash on Sukkot, which we've just discussed. Now you'll say, okay, well, because there you're talking about a halacha that relates to joy, and here's a halacha that relates to joy. That one is about sukkahs, this one is about mitzvahs. So there's a link. Joy and joy, simcha and simcha. Still, the Rambam should have spoken about this right at the beginning of the halachas of Yom Tov. Firstly, because that comes first. It's the first opportunity to address the importance of simcha. He should have done so. Simcha Syantav is a far broader category of Simcha as opposed to the very specific Simcha of Sukkah. So if you want to talk about a broad category of Simcha for all mitzvahs, it makes more sense to speak about it when you're speaking about a broader category of mitzvahs. And Gimel Ve'ikr, besides the main point is that at the end of the discussion about Simcha Siyomtev, the Rambam does speak about the general need for Simcha, which is very similar to what he's saying here. So why doesn't he talk about it there? Which obviously implies that there obviously must be a very unique connection between the special simcha of Sukkot and the simcha that we should experience with every mitzvah. And we have to find out what that connection is. So we have many questions about the Rambam. And in order to explain all of those questions, the explanation is that it's not like we understood from the Mephoshim. The Mephoshim suggested that the Rambam's view is that the, the, the simcha that is mandated on Sukkot is a simcha yaseira as part of how you celebrate that particular Yom Tov, and it's from the Torah. Now, Kavodas Rambam The fact that the Rambam chose specifically to show that you have to have this additional simcha on Sukkot, mina kosef. Where did he show it to us from? From the pasuk that says, that you should celebrate in Hashem's proximity for seven days, which means in the base Hamikdash. Is not as we thought to, to try and argue that the Torah here mandates an additional degree of Simchas Yomtev on Sukkot. It's not as we thought that the Rambam is arguing here that there's an additional degree of Simcha that is required on Sukkot. Elah is telling us something totally different. 
What the Rambam is showing us is, look, here when it comes to Sukkot, the Torah is speaking about Simcha in the Beis HaMikdash in a unique way that is completely unprecedented. And that should immediately grab our attention because the, ready, the Torah has already told us you should rejoice on Yom Tov and now it's telling us again to rejoice. Says the Rambam, Therefore the Rambam says, you know what happened was? It was a natural consequence when people recognized that the Torah speaks again about Simcha on Sukkot, they naturally celebrated more Simcha in the Beis HaMikdash. The knowledge of the fact that the Torah uses, or that Debeshe uses the word Simcha again in the context, in the context of Sukkot, prompted the people in the Beis Hamikdash, to experience extra simcha, because they saw in the Pasuk that there is an emphasis on simcha on this particular yontav, so they naturally chose to rejoice more. Not that the Torah mandated you have to have simcha yaseira, the people recognized the value and the need and the benefit of that simcha yaseira, and so they made extra simcha on the day. And that's what the Rambam alludes to in the next Talacha, where he says, Mitzvah It's a mitzvah to increase the simcha as much as possible. What does it mean, mitzvah? He's telling us, boys, you take the simcha that's already there and you increase it. It's not that there's an instruction to have some additional simcha. What he's saying is the joy of Yom Tev when it comes to Sukkot should somehow be expressed more than usual. So you don't have an additional chiyuv. Then now you've got to do something specific in order to add extra simcha. Just know, put, a, put your heart into it a little bit more. Now it is obvious why this Simchas Beis HaSheva cannot override Yom Tev. Even though there is clearly a link between the Simcha and the Pasuk that tells us, so you would think, oh, it's a Pasuk, maybe it's a law in the Torah. And Taka, if you have additional Simcha on Sukkot, it will help a person to fulfill the mitzvah of Simchas Yomtev on this Yomtev. But the reality is that even if a person had regular Simchas Yomtev on Sukkot, they would still fulfill the mitzvah. So there's no reason why this should override a restriction against musical instruments on Shabbos and Yom Tov, even if that restriction is Dirabonon, because this requirement for extra Simcha is to take Simcha's Yom Tov and try and make it better. Not you're required to make it better, not you're required to do something that's extra Simcha, but the headspace should be rejoice more. By the way, this clarifies for us something else that the Rambam says, which the Mishnah doesn't even say. The Rambam describes specifically that they set up the stadium, they set up the, the bleachers or whatever it was, Dafka before Yom Tov. Because 
Because the implication from the Mishnah is that the actual construction work also happened once Yom Tev ended and it was the beginning of Cholamoyed. The Rambam doesn't want to say that. He specifies that the preparations had to happen before the Yom Tev began. Why? Because now that we have established that the Torah is not mandating an additional de'oraisa simcha for um, for Simchas, for, for so then, then you don't have license to do activities that you normally would not be allowed to do on Cholamoyed, like building the platforms for the women. Therefore, the Rambam goes with a very simple explanation that it must have occurred before Yom Tov happened. And that will bring us to answer a very intriguing part of this whole conversation. Why did the Rambam create a list of who celebrated Simchas Beis HaShaeva that is different to both the Mishnah and the Brisa? We can also now understand how it is possible if it would have been just a direct mitzvah, it should have been equal for all people. Now that we understand that it's not a mitzvah, but it's this personal input, this personal investment in Simcha, which is not even mandated specifically in the Torah, so you can understand that different people will celebrate differently. Now that we have clarified, unlike what we originally thought, the extra Simcha and Sukkot is not a unique mitzvah that is mandated by Torah. Instead, it's supposed to be this extra experience of showing how much you love the mitzvah of the Simcha of Sukkot. Because the Torah does highlight the message of Simcha again when it comes to Sukkot. So if we're not talking about follow these rules, this is the mitzvah you have to perform. And instead we're saying, show how much you love the Simcha and make the Simcha great. That's very personal. Depends how the individual feels. And each individual will feel differently how much they love and cherish the specific mitzvah. So naturally, those people who are at the highest spiritual levels, those people would be so inspired by the mitzvah, they're literally dancing and clapping because they cherish the mitzvah. But the awakening of Simcha in the ordinary folk, might only just be enough Simcha to want to come watch the show, to want to be part of it, but they're not going to go out there and, 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 and dance and, and, and to do all the various things that they do in front of the people. So now that we are clear that the Rambam's view is not as we originally thought, and that he's not quoting this Pasuk to indicate that there's a unique requirement for extra simcha on Sukkot, it's rather as you feel, so you should generate more simcha. And that will add value to the existing positive mitzvah to rejoice on every single Yom Tov. And as we've pointed out, that's going to be different for different people, depending on how much they value and cherish the specific mitzvah. So Yuvan Gam, that will help us to understand two things. 
Now we can understand why these various groups of people, all the way to Anshe Maise, we understand why they're the ones who led the celebration. Because each of those groups had some unique experience of Yiddishkeit. One because he's on the Sanhedrin, the other one because he's a Chosit, the other one because he's Anshe Maise. And because of that, each one of them feels a unique bond with Yiddishkeit generally and specifically with this mitzvah. And therefore, um, therefore, each one of them has a unique degree of cherishing the mitzvah and therefore a unique form of simcha. And this will also help us to understand where the Rambam got it from that these are the specific categories of who, who participated. Rashi Yeshivas, Zkeinim, Anshemaisech, Sidim, Sanhedrin, etc. Where does he find it? It's very interesting that out of the whole Talmud Bavli and Yerushalmi, there are only certain Tanoim who are mentioned by name. And then there's some description given about how they celebrated Simchas Beisasheva. There's no question that all of the Tanoim who were alive at that time of the Beis Amikdash participated in Simchas Beis Hashem. And for sure, surely many of them said things that were valuable and, and, and worth recording. Yet the Gemara chose only to select a certain handful of sages, quote them by name and tell us a little bit about what either they did or said at the time of Simchas Beis Hashem. Lo Yosef Pachos. No additional and no fewer people. Why? Because these individuals represent the different groups who participated in the most intense way in Simchas Beis Hashem. Meaning that these individuals and the groups that they represent, they are the ones who have the most love for mitzvahs. So who are they and what do they teach us? This is where the Rambam builds his list from. So Begimor and Nehmer will start with Talmud Babri that tells us, says, when we celebrated the Simchas Beis HaShaver, we didn't sleep, we didn't taste Sleep. If we needed to rest, we kind of dozed off on the shoulder of the next person. So who's Rabbi Yeshua ben Chananya? Malosai miyuchedas Rabbi Yeshua ben Chananya. She biklolo huve bigemar dvarav benegelish tatfusoi besimchas beis hashayva. We now know, need to know why Rabbi Yeshua ben Chananya. What's so unique about him that the Gemara felt we need to know his story of simchas beis hashayva? Masupe bigemara. The Gemara tells us that Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya had a massive debate with these tremendously great sages called the Sabe de Ve'atuna. And he overcame, he beat them in the debate. Likewise, the Gemara tells us just before Rabbi Yishuv ben Hananya passed away, his students were very nervous. And all the other sages asked him, Who is going to help us to defend ourselves against that person? You're our mainstay. And he had to, he had to placate them. And he answered them, either by Pasuk of the Eitzim, one opinion is that he said that there's a Pasuk when the children of Hashem lose their wisdom, so those who are against us, 
their wisdom completely disappears. Another opinion is they use a different pasuk. That Eibushter will accompany us, basically. You know, that Eibushter will, will will have your back. Either way you look at it, Rabbi Shubin Hananya represents a category of the great sages of Israel. So there the Rambam says, ah, we have evidence from the Gemara that the great sages of Israel participated in the leading of Simchas Beis HaSheva. Next category. Gemara tells us, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, when he celebrated Simchas Beis HaSheva, he used to juggle a whole bunch of lit torches. Now Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, how you know, see Sanhedrin? His role was that he headed up the Sanhedrin, came a super big Gemara, as the Gemara tells us. The Gemara tells us that the nature and that the structure of the Sanhedrin was that the highest court, the Supreme Court Sanhedrin, a godel, was 71 members. And the greatest sage out of all of them is placed as their leader. He is the person who presides over the sitting of the judges. And he, as the Rambam says, he is the one who is called the Nasi wherever you go. Nasi and head of the Sanhedrin are equals. And that means the head of the Sanhedrin. So the Rambam has evidence to the fact that the group called Sanhedrin was represented at Simchas Beis HaShaheva. Thirdly, the Gemara also tells us that Hillel Azoken, when he celebrated Simchas Beis HaShaheva, used to say, if I am here, hakol kan, imani kan hakol kan, if I'm here, everything and everyone that needs to be here is here. So, it's very interesting that here, the Gemara specifically chooses to call him Hillel the Elder. Even though in many, many places he's referred to simply as Hillel, without this adjective. It must be that Gemara wanted to teach us something at this particular point in time, which is, Must be that we need to know that the way in which he represented the Jewish people at Simchas Beis HaShoeva was as a Zokin. And that would prove to the Rambam that the elders of the community led the Simchas Beis HaShoeva. And then lastly, the Yerushalmi Noisaf, the Yerushalmi adds a fourth example, and that's Ben Yehoitzodak Hoyemishtabach Bikfitzoisov. It says Ben Yehoitzodak used to do these leaps, these acrobatic leaps, and he used to, he was kind of like, he used to praise himself about the way he vaulted around during Simchas Beis Sasha Now you've got to ask yourself a question. One second. Kevin Shasipu Seeing as the Gemara is obviously trying to teach us something of here. When the Gemara wants to teach us something, it's not going to restrict information from us. If you don't know who Ben Yehoi Tzadak is, you have to know one thing. It must be a great scholar who we've met somewhere else in the Gemara because he's there to teach us something. So it must be somebody. Now you look through the names and lists of all the Tanoim, you'll find there's a Tana called Rabbi Shimon Ben Yehoi 
אבל לא ימצאנו בדיבר חז"ל שעוסקו מיינים יחדס של רבי שמעון בן יצדק. We don't know much about Rabbi Shimon ben Yoyit Zodak, and we don't find that he had some unique category, like Zokain, or Nasi, or Rosh Shiva or Chocham. So therefore, V'hechech lo'i mashamay los mispatas b'kinuyoi Rabbi Shimon. Must then be that whatever the greatness is that Rabbi Shimon ben Yoyit Zodak represents is actually, it's, it's contained in his title, Rabbi. How do you get the title Rabbi? Any individual who has real, meaningful students, we call him Rabbi. Ah, so now we know that to get the title Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon ben Yoytzadak must have been the head of a yeshiva. And there the Rambam proves that the Russia yeshivas participated in the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, and of course Chassidim and Anshamaisa, he got directly from the Mishnah. Now, you might have a question at this point. You're telling me the whole thing is to, to illustrate that he's called Rebbe, so why is he not called Rebbe? You could ask. How does it make any sense to say? That the only reason that Yerushalmi singled out Rabbi Shimon ben Yoytzadak as one of the great central people in Simchas Beis HaShoeva is to tell us that it's because he was Rebbe and a Rosh Yeshiva. How does it make any sense? The Yerushalmi doesn't call him Rebbe. How does it make any sense? It calls him Ben Yoytzadak, which is actually almost like a, like a disrespectful term. There's a beautiful answer to this. What the Gemara Yerushalmi describes is that Rabbi Shimon ben Yehud Tzadak took pride in the acrobatics that he did in the Beis HaMikdash. He was proud of the way in which he served Eibeshet in Simchat Beis HaShema. Any time that a person speaks of their own talents, abilities, achievements, the person has to be most cautious to speak in a way that nobody else feels that they are arrogant and that they themselves don't feel arrogant. That's why when the Yerushalmi says that he took pride in his acrobatics, it tells us how he referred to himself in a demeaning way. We have precedent with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who of course was such a great individual, and yet when he spoke about himself, Omar he spoke about Ben Zakkai, about himself. If Ben Zakkai would, so to speak, uh, put his head down and pray, he wouldn't have the same miracles that he had just seen. He didn't talk about himself but with his own name. He spoke son of as if to say that his greatness is contingent on his father's greatness. It's not about me. So now we know how the Rambam reached the point of coming to these categories of who celebrated Simchas Beis HaSheva at the center of the celebrations. We also know now that the Rambam was not telling us that there's a unique chi of min to have this additional celebration, but rather that it is something that the Torah encourages us to feel and feeling is individual. So why not mention the Baalei Tshuva? Rambam 
You see, we understood until now that there's a Mishnah that says Hasidim v'anshem Maise celebrated Simchas Beis HaShaiva. And then there was a Brisa that explained who are Hasidim and Anshem Maise. And it tells us about what the Hasidim used to say and what the Bali Chubi used to say. And it sounds like the Bryce is adding Bali Chubi that were not in the Mishnah. Rashi, the Rambam doesn't see it that way. The Rambam says that Brisa is explaining what the Mishnah referred to. Whatever was said succinctly in the Mishnah is expanded and expounded in the Brisa. Which means that the Rambam's view is Asuk Chasidim or Mishnah, Koil Hain Chasidim Befrat Vehain Balichuva. The Rambam understands that the Brisa is teaching us that when the Mishnah used the word Chasidim, it referred to Chasidim as we know them, and also to Balichuva. Now, to understand this, we have to see the difference between how the Rashi understands what a Chasid is versus how the, Baal, uh, how, how the Rambam understands what a Chasid is. The Rambam follows his, his uh, consistent logic. Rashi on that Gemara says a Chasid has always been a Chasid. So from Rashi's perspective, a chassid could not incorporate a balchuva because a balchuva shifted his life and a chassid has always been a chassid. The Rambam, on the other hand, far earlier on in Mishnah Torah, in Hilchas Deus, where he spoke about the, the aspirational state that a person should aim towards, he says as follows. A person who is very cautious and strict to himself. And pushes themselves off the median because the median is the part that everybody has to fulfill. But this person pushes themselves to be stricter, either in giving more or in restraining themselves more. That's the consideration. That's the definition of a chosid. Somebody who pushes themselves beyond what is required. Now that might apply to somebody who's lived their whole life this way. Or it might apply, and in fact it's probably more likely to apply to Balchuva, because the Balchuva wants to play catch-up, so the Balchuva is going to push themselves to do extra. Therefore, it's quite logical for the Rambam to conclude that the word Chassidim used in the Mishnah, in the Mishnah refers to Balei Chuva explained in the Bryce. So that's why the Rambam didn't have to say the expression because he included it in the word Chassidim. Because in the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, the, the designation Chassid could also include a Balchuva. And now we can come to the last question we had, which was, why do you go from talking about the unique Simcha of Sukkot to now speaking about the Simcha you should have in every mitzvah? Surely you've gone from a highly specific topic to an incredibly broad topic, and what's the link? Because the Rambam explains, where do you find the additional simcha of Simchas Beis HaSheva? It's machmas chavivusam mitzvah to Simchas Yomtev. It's because you so cherish and appreciate the mitzvah of Simchas Yomtev that you want to do it with every bit of your being. Aha. 
Isn't that exactly what the theme of Simcha Shal Mitzvah is all about? You've got the mitzvah, the actual mitzvah itself. Now you're adding passion and excitement to it. You're adding to the doing of the mitzvah, the passion for the mitzvah. You are including Simcha into the mitzvah. And you're bringing love of Hashem into the mitzvah. Like on Simcha Space Hashem, you're adding Simcha to the Simcha Siyamta. Same theme. In fact, there's one step more to this. When a person has Simcha in an ordinary mitzvah that they do, it actually shows that there's more happening here, something more surprising than the fact that people have this unbridled Simcha at Simcha's Beis HaShoeva. Because in Simcha's Beis HaShoeva, when does Simcha's Beis HaShoeva happen? When it's Yom Tov. And not just any Yom Tov. It's a Yom Tov of Simcha. So you're already in a place of Simcha. And you definitely would not be in a place of sadness. When a person is already in a state of Simcha, it's not that difficult to increase the Simcha. In fact, it's natural. But Simcha Shal Mitzvah is something we're supposed to do daily. And for every mitzvah that we do daily, under all circumstances, even when we're feeling down, that's why the Rambam says, this kind of simcha is a tremendous amount of service to the Eibishter, because it's not so easy. On Sukkot, it's easier to be a simcha than today, to go and do a mitzvah right now with simcha. That's why the Rambam quotes the example of David HaMelech, twirling and dancing in front of the Oren. Because the Rambam wants us to know how extreme our Simcha Shal Mitzvah is supposed to be for every Mitzvah. No matter how difficult and challenging it might be to achieve that degree of Simcha. Now we can see that there's a flow of how the Rambam introduced the concept of Simcha with regards to Mitzvah in increasing measure. First he told us that there's a general mitzvah that on Yom Tov you rejoice. There's a mitzvah to celebrate every Yom Tov. Then he goes to a more, a more increased level of Simcha. The Simcha of Sukkot, which is a tremendously advanced level of serving the Ebishter. As we said, to reach that point of simcha, you have to really love and cherish the mitzvah that you're doing. And then he upgrades us to the level of simcha for every mitzvah. Which is extremely challenging. Avoid the gedolah by the Rambam's own description. It is a tremendous avoider to do. So which gives us a practical lesson. A person could say, if it's the middle of a joyous Yom then I can be in a state of joy. But when all the special days are over and all the great Simcha has come to an end, how am I supposed to? Me, I'm just an ordinary person. How am I supposed to have Simcha? 
Therefore, the Rambam tells us, After Simchas Beis HaShoeva concludes, That's when you start Simcha. That's when you start the daily Simcha challenge. The Avoid the the difficult but meaningful and great work of Simcha Shal Mitzvah. And the reason is because all the time, even in, on a normal weekday, Every movement that a Jewish person makes is part and parcel of how you serve Hashem. Either because you're actually doing a mitzvah, so obviously you're serving Hashem. Or it's part of the broad concept that everything we do should be directed towards heaven. And in everything that we follow, we should be recognizing and acknowledging Hashem. So therefore, everything we do should be filled with simcha. As the Pasuk tells us in Tilim, to serve Hashem with joy. Ah, you'll say, but the Gemara tells us we're not allowed to have absolute joy as long as we're still in this world. That might be true for all other kinds of joy. But Simcha associated with a mitzvah, not only is it allowed, it is absolutely essential. And when we have tremendous Simcha in our Rabbi Hashem, that stimulates a tremendous Simcha on high. Like the Pasuk says, that he who dwells in the heavens will laugh, will rejoice. They will laugh at all those who want to harm us. Laugh them off. Our Simcha Shal Mitzvah will neutralize our enemies. And then we should fulfill the, the, the promise of a time where our, our lips and our mouths will be filled with absolute joy, which will happen with the coming of Mashiach immediately.